everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Great to have you here. You're still listening to fantasy football podcasts such as this one in late October. It probably means your fantasy teams are still competitive. I certainly hope that's the case. And I hope that will still be the case in the weeks to come because we had some brutal injuries in week seven. In just a few minutes, I am going to bring in this week's guest, Lauren Carpenter, a.k.a. Stepmom Lauren. Really looking forward to chatting with Lauren. But first, let's hear the bad news. Let's get the weekly injury update from Dr. Deepak Chona. Take it away, Dr. Chona. All right. Thanks, Pat. There's tons to talk about on the injury front today, so we will dive right in, starting with Brees Hall. The video was concerning for an ACL tear. His coach essentially confirmed those suspicions. An ACL for Brees Hall would average 10 months to return. We did see Saquon Barkley, when he came back last year, have essentially an entire down season. Wouldn't necessarily expect that for Brees Hall, but I would expect it to be week six or week eight before we're starting to look like the pre-injury performance level that we've been seeing this year. Then we have DK Metcalf, and we have less information on his diagnosis so far, but the video is also concerning for an ACL tear. His knee bent inwards, it internally rotated, and then you see a sudden jerk to the knee. And the fact that we have negative x-rays on DK Metcalf doesn't tell us much. This is a condition that's diagnosed on MRI which will very likely happen on Monday. So you got to hope the video is wrong, but uh, it looks concerning for an ACL tear. Then you have tight end David Njoku, and he was seen after the game in a boot and on crutches, together suggesting a high ankle sprain. These do average two to four weeks. He did say that he hopes to be back soon, but it's a little bit vague what that really means. Again, two to four weeks is the average, so I would think that he is likely missing week eight. Then Amon Ross St. Brown, he's now in the concussion protocol. With the new policies in effect, we're averaging a little over seven days for concussion protocol clearance. And when players come back, they don't really have much performance lag. They tend to return right back to their pre-injury level. So overall, the data would slightly favor missing week eight, coming back week nine, but at least at full strength. Then we have Alan Lazard. Now he left the game. He did return. The mechanism that they described for Lazard as blocking a player uh, does, does hint at a possible labrum injury. So he'll probably get an MRI on this on Monday and then we'll know for sure. Lazard was able to return and most cases of shoulder injuries for wide receivers, you'd be able to return within two weeks. So I would slightly favor him playing week eight. Then we have Mike Williams. Now, the video looked like a mechanism for a high ankle sprain and at least a moderate to severe one for at that. Now, mild high ankles average two to three weeks for wide receivers. Moderate and up are more like four to six. So having a week eight buy helps, but I would still give him a pretty slim chance to play week nine. Then you have JC Jackson. Now, he dislocated his kneecap reportedly. You may remember a couple years back, Patrick Mahomes did something similar. He missed two games at that time and didn't have to have surgery. Now, the key when you dislocate your kneecap and then it pops back into place, sometimes you can chip off a piece of bone with that. 
and it'll be loosely floating around in the knee. So that is something that you would see on an MRI, which will happen on Monday. If that is the case, then you would have to go in there and fish out that loose piece of bone. And that would allow JC Jackson usually to return in about three to four weeks. However, if he doesn't have any of those pieces in his knee, then I would expect something similar to the Mahomes timeline and about two games missed. Then you have star pass rusher for the Bengals, Trey Hendrickson. He left the game with a stinger. These are very severe injuries when they occur. It's like a pinched nerve causing an intense sensory change or sometimes a painful change. But the good news on stingers is that they recover very quickly. So by week eight, I would expect Trey Hendrickson to be back to full strength, not not miss any serious time with this injury. Then we have Giants rookie O-lineman Evan Neal. Now he'll very likely have an MRI on his knee on Monday. There are a subset of these MCL injuries, which is his reported diagnosis, that will need surgery and a longer time out. But the most common outcome here would be a two to four week injury. So we'll look for a little bit of an update on Evan Neal soon. And then we have a couple of updates on some major fantasy players. First running back, DeAndre Swift. Now he's been dealing with ankle and shoulder issues. The ankle is probably the reason that he was kept out of week seven. He did practice in a limited fashion all week going into Sunday. So I would expect him to do more of the same in practice this coming week. I do anticipate DeAndre Swift returning to the field week eight, but again, we'll have to monitor this one a little bit. And then we have J.K. Dobbins, a little bit less optimistic on the outlook. He will now have surgery to clean up a meniscus or a cartilage issue. This isn't terribly uncommon after having the major multi-ligament injury that he had last year, and our data does overall bode pretty well for his short-term recovery. Running backs return to the field at an average of about five weeks. By week six, they're generally back to their pre-injury explosiveness on a per-play production level. The key, however, is that young running backs who were highly drafted do tend to see slow ramps back up in touches, and the most common outcome here for the Ravens would be to take up to four, about four games as they ramp him up before giving him a full workload. For the long term, this is unfortunately pretty bad news. Second surgeries for these in our data do tend to lead to shorter careers, also more, more durability issues with missed games throughout those years. And we certainly hope not, but in the worst case scenario, this could be a brewing Todd Gurley type of situation coming up. Now, that's all we have for the injury report today, so I'll turn it back over to you, Pat. My thanks to Dr. Deepak Chona for the Week 8 injury report. Here's hoping he has less to tell us about next week. And here with me now is Lauren Carpenter. She is a contributor to Fantasy Pros, to NBC Sports Edge, to the Fantasy Footballers, and to FTN. Check her out on her FTN live stream every Wednesday. It's called a Wind Up Wednesday. So pour yourself a glass of vino and join Lauren this Wednesday for some midweek fantasy football talk. You can also join Lauren every Friday for Fireside Fridays, also on FTN. And you can find her on Twitter at Stepmom Lauren. Hello, Lauren. Thanks for stopping by and classing up the place a little. Oh, Lord, classing up the place. We've met, right? <laughs> <Which> is- <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
<laughs> of course, of course. Uh, let's jump into it with the biggest news from last week, the Christian McCaffrey trade. So what were your initial thoughts when you heard about this deal? Yeah, let me see if I can harness what happened to me when I heard this. Hang on just a moment. <gasps> That's what my initial reaction was. And the reason why I was so shocked is um, Jake Seeley and I spoke about this on the podcast that we have together, All in Football, on Tuesdays with FTN. And he was saying how it's probably going to be DJ Moore. I was like, they have to get rid of Christian McCaffrey if they have any hope of trying to do a rebuild of any sort or of trying to get better pieces. That is your most valuable asset. But they were asking for so much that it seemed like a pipe dream. And I was like, oh, hopefully they'll come around and realize that this is going to be the best way to get the best return on investment for someone of Christian McCaffrey's talent and caliber. And sure enough, it happened. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, what, what is going on here, people? But yeah, and to all people, and the Rams were right there too. They were a hair's breadth away from getting Christian McCaffrey, which I think they probably need more than the 49ers, but it was, it was nuts. It was nuts. I mean, rarely do you hear this kind of a blockbuster trade going on in the middle of the season. It's insane. It is rare for it to happen. And I do think the Panthers got a pretty good take. Plus they get uh, McCaffrey's big cap numbers off the books for the next couple of years. Um, I think if you add the picks up, I thought I saw that uh, those, the, the values of, their picks. They didn't get a first rounder, but they got uh, a bevy of other picks. And I thought I saw that the equivalent value was to, like to a late first round pick. Correct. Yeah, I heard the same thing. Yeah, and not bad for the Panthers. I mean, they have uh, probably more room for draft picks to replace some of the the lower end roster guys than other people. So the quantity can certainly help them in the future. You know, and it's it gives us a a fun. This is going to be a more enjoyable way to consume the work of Christian McCaffrey for uh, football fans, fantasy managers. Do you think CMC is now the new unconditional RB1 every week when healthy? Yeah, I mean, I think he was before this trade. This just elevates the excitement, like you said, of being able to watch him on a better, way, way better team. Although, PJ Walker, hi, XFL to NFL. How are you doing? He did freaking great. But yeah, it is he's yeah, he he was a an auto start anyway, RB1 unconditional no matter what he was in my lineup. Um but this just makes it so much more explosive. So his ceiling has just gone even further through the roof than it was when he was on the Panthers. It's insane. It's insane. That's going to be my word for the day. It's insane. <laughs> this is nuts. <laughs> Which of his new teammates do you think this helps the most? You know, honestly all of them. I I really tried to think of somebody that was going to be the primary beneficiary of this. And if I did have to pick one of them out, it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo, I think really benefits the most out of this acquisition. If you were not talking about the quarterback position, then I think it's probably going to be Debo Samuel. I think that he's going to be able to fulfill more of a wide receiver role than I think previously, because he was basically their best running back because Jeff Wilson is starting to decline, unfortunately. Uh, and yeah, I honestly, I think it's going to be Jimmy G. That is the one that has the best like, yay, welcome to San Francisco. Can I please show you around? You are my new bestie forever. Probably going to be Jimmy G. Yeah, he is going to be able to leverage Christian McCaffrey's talent on all those passes, uh, like the short stuff, the easy completions, quick way to turn a, a simple little completion into a big play and boost up those yardage numbers. Plus, I think you mentioned it like, People maybe look at who he is going to take touches away from, but I think the big thing is that he is just going to boost the touchdown prospects for everyone on this roster. Like they're simply going to score more with Christian McCaffrey on board. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Everyone benefits from this. The the defense benefits, the fans benefit. I mean, there is no downside to Christian McCaffrey on the 49ers. Yeah. And you mentioned Debo, like we saw the the two the duality of Debo last year. We saw the first half as a conventional wide receiver. He was fantastic. We saw the hybrid role in the second half, part wide receiver, part running back. He was fantastic. Now I think it's it's obviously going to tilt more towards the pure receiver part of that, but I don't know. It's a skinny target tree for the 49ers. It's Debo, mm-hmm. it's Ayuk, it's Kittle. So uh, I think he can still smash in that role. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm actually, you know, that's a good point. Um, I think I'm mostly excited outside of, I'm excited for everybody, but Kittle is another one that I think this helps a lot. So, oh my gosh, I, I had a friend of mine who had a start and sit question. It's a dynasty league and he's got Mark Andrews and George Kittle. He's like, I've had George Kittle on my bench. I haven't even been able to flex him because he hasn't been able to, 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 to you know, really get explosive like he used to get. And I think Christian McCaffrey will really, really help bolster uh, George Kittle in addition to everybody else. Yeah. Um, and like, I think the general improved health of the 49ers offensive line is helping with Kittle, too, because he has not been pass blocking as much lately. He's been running more routes and uh, the last two weeks have been pretty good for him. So it's nice to see him get back to the, I mean, we've been so starved for production at tight end, Lauren. Isn't it nice mm-hmm. to have like Kittle be a legitimate tight end one? Like we need that. I just think we need to take away the tight end position altogether and make it a flex. But let's just, let's just do it. What are we waiting for? Oh <laughs> what, man. Why? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, some people feel like that. I, I kind of like the struggle of it sometimes. And uh, ugh. that's all i have to say is ugh. i know but like i i like that debate of whether to sacrifice early round draft capital for a tight end to give yourself a big advantage at the position and maybe set yourself behind it running back and wide receiver like that's um a a lot of people have different philosophies on that and it's it, it makes for some variation in roster building and i think that's kind of fun in august when everyone is drafting teams let me ask you about the flip side. And we talked about how uh, you alluded to the Panthers' unexpected offensive proficiency yesterday against the Buccaneers, a, a quality NFL defense. And they actually moved the ball more effectively than they had all season. Deonta Foreman and Chuba Hubbard both had good fantasy days sharing work in the Panthers' first game without CMC. But we should note that Chuba Hubbard has some sort of ankle issue he's dealing with possibly a high ankle. So I don't think we have definitive word on yet. We're recording this on a Monday, taking that into account. What is your perception of uh, the fantasy viability of these guys going forward? Yeah. uh, This just, if Chuba Hubbard is healthy, let's say in this vacuum, right? There's nothing wrong with them. This should be almost a perfect 50, 50 split or darn close to that between the two of them. So I don't know if I like one a whole a whole lot more than the other because I think if you miss out on one, you can still get the other because you really can't replace Christian McCaffrey with one person. It has to be with multiple people. So I think that they both have realistic fantasy production moving forward. So let's knock on wood, cross our fingers that Shuba Hubbard is okay. Yeah, um, probably not worth blowing out the fab budget. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure some people are really hurting at running back, the people who lost Brees Hall. I don't know, if if you had a decent chunk of your fab budget left, Lauren, what would you be willing to go to for Deonta Foreman if you had some degree of need? If I had some degree of need, I would look between 20 to 25%. 
But again, these aren't those guys. You just don't know which one it's going to be or if it's going to be both or if one of them gets hurt. You know, it's – so, yeah, I, I'm on the same boat with you. That's why I didn't pick up either Deontay Foreman or Chiba Hubbard when there were the whispers and rumblings that Christian McCaffrey could get traded. I just don't – I just don't believe that the upside is really there. Um but yeah, I w- if, if I was needy at the running back position, I would probably go Hubbard if healthy, and I would go 20 to 25%. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, limited touchdown upside for sure. I, I exactly. prefer Hubbard too, I think, just because he catches passes, and that's never really been a part of Foreman's game. So yeah, I am with you there. Hey everyone, fall is in the air, and Omaha Steaks has everything you need for delicious cookouts and hearty meals. Enjoy tender, perfectly aged steaks, juicy burgers, decadent desserts, and classic comfort meals every day with the convenience and gourmet flavor of Omaha Steaks. And fall is the perfect time to stock up by taking advantage of a deal that gets you 50% off site-wide at omahasteaks.com during their semi-annual sale. Plus, you get an additional, additional $30 off your order with this exclusive podcast offer. And of course, every order is backed by their unconditional money-back guarantee. From tailgate parties to busy weeknights, the flavor experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to savor all the flavors of fall with their mouth-watering assortments of perfectly aged steaks, ultra-juicy burgers, and easy-to-prepare comfort meals that are ready in a flash. I'm very grateful that we have been getting some glorious fall weather here in the Midwest. I'm going to make the most of it and extend grilling season for as long as I can. They are going to have to pry the grill tongs out of my cold, frozen hands because I can't get enough of Omaha Steaks fillets and burgers. I've gotten into the habit of grilling every Saturday and enjoying the flavor of Omaha Steaks with my college football. What a perfect way to make the most of a weekend. And by the way, it's not just beef. Omaha Steaks has incredibly good pork chops. They have a wide variety of delicious side dishes. They have desserts that my family loves. Omaha Steaks is everything you need for a great home-prepared meal. So go to omahasteaks.com and check out all they have to offer. It sure beats going out to a restaurant, having a server hovering over you, paying a gigantic markup for a bottle of wine. The heck with that. Enjoy restaurant-quality food in the comfort of your home. Omaha Steaks has the world's best beef. It's naturally aged for the ultimate in tenderness, juiciness, and flavor. Five generations of family-owned expertise means uncompromising quality that you can trust. Every steak and every entree is frozen, vacuum-sealed, and ready to share with your family and friends. So right now, hit pause on this pod and go take advantage of 50% off site-wide by shopping the Omaha Steaks semi-annual sale. It only happens twice a year, and it's on now with 50% off delicious customer favorites. And when you use the promo code PATFITS at checkout, that's one word, Pat Fitz. You get to take advantage of an additional $30 off your order. So don't wait. Go to omahasteaks.com and stock up on full flavor today. Omaha Steaks is perfect for those busy and chilly fall nights with entrees ready before the kids can say what's for dinner. And don't forget to use the promo code Pat Fitz, all one word, at checkout to score an extra $30 off your order. Omaha Steaks isn't just steak. It's the best steak of your life. Guaranteed. That's omahasteaks.com. Use the promo code PATFITS at checkout. Minimum order may be required. Well, the Christian McCaffrey trade was fun. We like that sort of news. 
We don't love injury news uh, nearly as much. And unfortunately, there were a lot of newsworthy injuries from week seven, most of them coming in the late afternoon games, which just turned into a complete bloodbath after a while. It's kind of depressing. The worst news was that Brees Hall tore his ACL. We just got this news a little before the uh, time of our recording on Monday, but we kind of knew it was coming. Yeah, I'm just, I'm glad it's only the ACL. I I think there might be a torn meniscus too, but I'm glad it's not like multiple ligaments. That would have been horrible. How heavily invested in Brees Hall were you this season, Lauren? I didn't have too much of Brees Hall. I had a little bit, um, I but the little bit I had, I was very excited about. So not only did I get absolutely annihilated in week seven, it was terrible for me for fantasy. Not just in my, my redraft leagues, but in my pickums, my over-unders, I, I looked at my squads and I was like, I have to be reading this wrong. Like there's, I literally had one of my teams, almost everyone had a zero, like 0.5 or like 0.4. Like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. So my morning went from... I'm now very irritated, not only because it's Monday, but I'm looking at all my squads. I missed most of my pickums. The only one I got was an insurance one that I did, and I ended up getting four out of five rights. So, okay, I, that, that was a little exciting. And then I have the Brees Hall news that it's official he tore his ACL. I'm like, this is a really crappy way to start the day. So either way, even if I, I think I only have him in two leagues, doesn't matter. He was he made the Jets so great with his pass catching ability, his explosiveness, his yards after the catch. He is so friggin' good. And this is a huge blow, not just for fantasy, but for the Jets. That really stinks because they were flying high. And uh Zach Wilson is, you know, Abercrombie model, Zach Wilson. He's not <laughs> you know, he's not magical. And uh, he needed magical people around him, and, and Brees Hall was one of them. Yeah. So how should we view Michael Carter's value now with Hall out for the season? Is he immensely valuable now or does this offense just kind of turn into a sinkhole without hall because you just mentioned it like we can pretty safely conclude that zach wilson is not very good at this point yeah michael carter's going to be a low a low volume touchdown dependent running back but he's still going to be a starting running back so unfortunately you probably either have to pick him up or hold on to him if you've been hanging on to him this so far so his value did kind of go up a little bit in that respect because i had him buried you know buried and dead basically so it's not exciting. It's not sexy. It's kind of like the Chuba Hubbard, Deontay Foreman situation that we're looking at, but instead of two of them, there's just one of them. So again, he is going to be a very touchdown dependent type of running back. I'm afraid of that. But then what I didn't like from the Jets, in fact, I want to go back and rewatch this game as well as the uh, San Francisco 49ers game, but I want to see what the heck happened because where did Corey Davis go? Um, I know Garrett Wilson got force fed a few targets that didn't really work. What happened? Like, what is going on? Like, did Elijah Moore suddenly create something or did he expose something going on behind the scenes in New York that we never knew about and suddenly just showed up on the field? Like, what happened to these people? So I got to go back and rewatch those games and probably cry a little bit. And, oh, man. You know. Yeah. So I, I think Corey has a sprained MCL now. So it's uh, fantastic. It a- this day keeps getting better and better. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, yes. exactly. And now the funny Ugh. thing is, is that going to force Elijah Moore back into the field? Do, do they have to come to some sort of uh, reconciliation deal here with the uh, very put off Elijah Moore? pouting after his non-involvement and now they certainly need him because they need playmakers i mean they need something with no Brees hall yeah i mean like i i have some hope for carter because he can catch passes um i I don't think he's going to be a heavy duty runner as you mentioned Mm -hmm. but maybe between the targets and the carries we get something approaching like a low-end running back two in this offense 
But yes, like, I think that's a good place to put him as a low end RB2, uh, mid tier on a good day. Now, another potentially serious injury. It looks like we're getting some good news here, though. DK Metcalf, he was carted off the field yesterday. This time it was not to use the restroom. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he has a knee injury, but it looks like it's a patellar tendon issue that's not going to require surgery, according to Pete Carroll. Um, yeah, so. I think we can expect Metcalf to be out for a while Um, for however long he is out, Lauren. Like, does this injury bring Geno Smith's fairy tale start to the season to a screeching halt? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Geno Smith, uh, Smith, Geno Smith is legit is what I was trying to go. Geno Smith is legit. That's really sad. (laughs) I clearly need to wake up a little bit more, even though it's 2.50 on a Monday. No, I, I think I think Geno Smith is going to be okay. I think this does help Tyler Lockett. But from what I saw, like I Marquise Goodwin, you're still in the NFL. Where did you come from? What? I know. So yeah, I just think other playmakers are going to start getting involved in this offense, and I think that they, of course, will miss DK Metcalf. Um, he's obviously a very big bodied target, but I think they're going to be okay, and I think Geno can pull it out. Yeah, um, maybe all the D. Eskridge fanboys who uh, loved his his draft prospects. And I love how he changed up. his name. Like, is he? And the, I was just going to mention this before about Elijah Moore. Like, he does know that there's no transfer portal in the NFL, right? Like, just because you start pouting <laughs> and cry, you can't like go change a team just like that. And the thing, and D. Eskridge changed his name from Dwayne to D. Like, Dwayne is a cool name. Why you got to be changing your name? D? Yeah, that is weird. And uh, I know, yeah, right? How can Elijah Mart write as a second year guy pout like that? It's not like I he's approaching the end of his contract. Right. Be a team player, my friend. I love Elijah Moore too. And from what I saw from Zach Wilson and Elijah Moore last year, I mean, I just got done having a conversation about this. I'm like, I am super excited for Elijah Moore because I saw what he could do with Zach Wilson when they were rookies. And I saw what he could do alongside of Corey Davis. There was there was nothing standing in the way. And then now I'm mad. I don't get enough playing time. I want to trade. It's like, what? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, stop. <laughs> right. Especially with the Jets off to their best start in years. I know. It, Get on it, board, man. This is a team game, buddy. I know. It's such a bad look. Such a bad look. Uh, how much do you think the Lockett absence is going to drive up the value of Tyler Lockett? The, or Metcalf wait, did I say that? Sorry, I'm, I mixed that up. Yes, the Metcalf absence. How long? How? How do you think that is going to affect Lockett? You know, uh, uh, it will affect him positively. I don't know if it's going to be a huge factor. And I think depending on how long DK Metcalf is going to be gone is going to affect what happens to Tyler Lockett. Because everybody knows the now the number one threat in that offense, uh, besides Kenneth Walker, is Tyler Lockett. So I have a feeling that defenses are going to be like, shut the man down, shut the man down. Which leaves a lot of room for people like Will Disley, uh, Kenneth Walker, like I just mentioned, Marquise Goodwin, it, 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 D. Eskridge. It gives them the opportunity to step step up. And so then defenses moving forward are going to have to be like, okay, well, we can't just shut down Tyler Lockett and then hope and pray no one else does anything. So I think it's going to spread it back out again. So either way, this is going to go uptick in targets for Tyler Lockett. And what he can do with them is going to depend on how well Geno Smith can deliver. And I think that he's going to do a good job. So it does increase Tyler Lockett's value. Um, And depending on how long he's gone, I think it could get even further. I would love to see this spike the value of Noah Fant, who I have on quite a few dynasty rosters, but mm-hmm. I just you know wish the Seattle Seahawks weren't parceling out targets to so many different tight ends. Yes, Will they Disley, are. Colby Parkinson. Uh, yeah, I would just oh, 
you know, as Bob could, Harris calls him, the dismissal. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So we also had high ankle sprains for Mike Williams and David Njoku. Maybe this is a good time for a temperature check on the Chargers passing game with this Mike Williams injury uh, that we thought would be explosive, Lauren. I mean, despite leading the league in pass attempts, Justin Herbert is the QB eight in fantasy points per game, trailing the aforementioned Geno Smith. Uh, Herbert's yards per attempt have fallen from 7.5 last year to 6.5 this year. Not a very good number at all. Touchdown production is down. Do we have to recalibrate expectations for Justin Herbert? Yeah, I think we do. And I'll say that I'm guilty of that. Um, His accuracy is also no bueno. It is not nearly as good as it was before. And I, I I blame a lot of that on the you know missing and fractured and crumbling cartilage that the poor man has to deal with in his sternum. Yes. So that that's never a good thing. So injuries aside, um, yeah, the, the accuracy has gone down, the efficiency has gone down, the um the lack of the lack of something. You know, like when you watch the Chargers last season, it was like when Justin Herbert would, you know, target Keenan Allen. The ball actually teleported out of his hands and then into the chest of Keenan Allen. You couldn't even see the football when he threw it. It was like, pew, these darts, like, shing, shing, shing. Now he just is constantly under duress. He's just having to dump it off to Austin Eckler, who's trying his very best to not, you know, get himself pulverized. It's not nearly as exciting to watch. So, yes, I do think a recalibration for fantasy is uh, absolutely in order. Just understand what you have going for you right now, and then you might have to you might have to load up the rest of your roster with a little bit safer floor plays. Cause Mike, Mike Williams has been very disappointing. Keenan Allen hasn't even been on the field and that really does hurt Justin Herbert. He needs people to throw the ball to. Yeah. In fairness, like he's had some issues with the supporting cast, losing Rashawn Slater at left tackle was a major blow. Yes. They've had some yes. other injuries on the offensive line. As you mentioned, he's, he hasn't played without, uh, hasn't played with Keenan Allen as much as he would like, I'm sure. Do you think Keenan Allen is going to provide his typical production when the Chargers come off their week eight bye, or is that maybe naively optimistic? I think he's going to get close. It might take him a few weeks to get back up to the Keenan Allen that we know and love, which is sometimes very frustrating. But I don't know how well that's gonna that's gonna translate without Mike Williams on the field. He is a he's he's someone that that draws defensive players away and allows Keenan Allen to be Keenan Allen. So once both of them are back on the field, I think things should start getting back to normal. But until then, it's going to be tough sledding. But I think in and out it's going to be all right, just not nearly as exciting for the first week or two as we're used to seeing him. Just kind of like this whole entire Chargers offense as a whole has not been exciting. But I think he'll he'll get back into it. Got to shake yeah. off a little bit of rust. Yeah, I think those two guys are so complimentary. You know, they just have they different are, types absolutely. of games and it, it kind of sucks that we've not seen them Yeah, together. you couldn't have two. Exactly. You can't have two different types of, of wide receivers than Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Just how they play, where they play, where they line up, what their big play potential looks like. It, it's, an, it's incredible. So hopefully when both of them are back healthy on the field, things will be better and then it'll be back to normal and not like weird weirdo zone, which I feel like we're in right now. <laughs> Speaking of weirdos on Lauren, uh, this is the last episode of this show before Halloween. Are you a Halloween yes. person? I like 
Halloween. I'm not one of those nut jobs that goes absolutely insane um, for Halloween, but I do get into I do get into the holiday. Uh, this year, not so much. Um, we normally go out of town for the Halloween era because that's our wedding anniversary is right around the Halloween time. Nice. So this year we're not going. I have a puppy. She um, is getting spayed on October 31st. So we are not traveling, and we're also not hosting any trick or treaters because I don't think that poor thing is going to want to deal with that right after major no. surgery. Not at all. Uh, but no, I do like Halloween. I love dressing up for Halloween. I love doing my nails with weird like pumpkins and orange and neon and all sorts of stuff. So I'm into it, but I'm like crazy, crazy into it. Plus, I do like eating all of the candy that is, quote, left over. Also known <laughs> that I just hid so that no one could really pass it out. That's all. That is my favorite part of Halloween. The last time you went to a costume party, what did you go as? We went last year, and it was in New Orleans and for Halloween, which if anyone has not experienced their French Quarter during Halloween, just please do yourself a favor and go. It is so much better than Mardi Gras, just because Mardi Gras is just a, a cesspool of, of uh, yeah. <laughs> but Halloween is absolutely awesome, and I went as a vampire. Um two nights in a row, but I had like the cool little uh, canine teeth that you like mold to your actual teeth. So you just pop them in and out and they fit perfectly. So I was just kind of dressed up randomly. I think once I was like steampunk on a Friday night and the other time I had some like peacock, like get up, like corset with a big mask on and everything. Uh, but people would come by and I would smile and they would kind of do a double take. They're like, are those your real teeth? I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is the one time I can come out into public and not feel ashamed. Like, no, of course they're fake. What the <laughs> Obviously. So no, but it is fun. It's it's a ton of fun. I do like I do like getting dressed up. I'm gonna miss it this year because I'm not gonna be dressing up. Or I can and it'll just be weird because I'm sitting on my couch wearing like a witch costume or something. Yeah, which, so is really, which is my normal look. I mean, I'm cl I'm <laughs> clearly a witch, but you know, I don't have to. I don't have to show everybody. So you're pro Halloween. Why do you hate horror movies? I have a t I have a crazy, crazy imagination, and I have really, really bad dreams like every single night. So if I see a trailer for a horror movie, I won't sleep for a week, and I'm like, nope, can't watch it. Nope, nope, nope. And I have terrible, terrible, terrible nightmares. I don't like watching people get brutally murdered, even though I know it's fake. Like, that's just wrong. Like, what is wrong with people? Like, that's sick. That, that's a sickness. You should be on medication or go to therapy. I can't handle it. Mostly because I can't, but I understand why people do. It's the adrenaline. It's, oh, like, no, I, no, thank you. No, thank you. I despise and hate horror movies. Yeah, that's fair. I got hooked on that adrenaline rush at an early age. A friend of mine, when we were like in, in seventh grade or whatever, his older sister was like old enough to get us into R-rated horror movies. So she would take us Oh, the us days. To like, rebel, you yes, rebel. Yes, yes. Um, all right. Let's talk about Wind Up Wednesdays. Yeah, when, my baby. When you host the show, what are you usually drinking, red or white? I am drinking carbonated water with lemon and lime. I know, what? peek behind the curtain. I know how boring. Sometimes I'll sometimes I'll mix it up and you know have like a splash of vodka in there. But um, I actually don't like wine. I don't care for wine. Um, my mom used to be a big big wine drinker, so she would have all different kinds of red, and she would you know teach me which wines go with what food. And she was all about the the vino life. I am not. I hate it. I cannot, I mean, unless it's super sweet or champagne, any kind of a bubbly, sparkly wine, I'm okay with. But yeah, I do. I just don't drink wine. Like it gives me the worst hangovers ever. So I have a wine glass, but I actually don't drink wine in it. 
That's fair. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm horrible. <laughs> I, I'm a fraud. <laughs> I was going to ask because I saw you on one of your recent shows and it looked like you were holding a margarita glass, unless it's maybe just funky glassware that you guys have where your wine. It is a funky glassware. Yeah. My mom uh, passed away last July and after going through all of her things, there's specific um, flatware and dishes and wine glasses and stuff that are very near and dear to my heart. So she has five of those. And I've never been able to find them anywhere else. So I always have that kind of reminds me of her, but it's, that's my favorite color is that bluey, blue, green, turquoisey color. So I have that. And then you can't tell if I'm actually drinking a red or white because it can be anything that's in there. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so I do, it is an actual wine glass. It is a white wine glass specifically, not a red, which is a little bit more bowl shaped, but yeah, no, no margarita. I can't do tequila either. We have a, we have tequila and I have a love hate relationship. Like I love it. It hates me, especially the next morning. So I generally tend to stay away from tequila and I just stick with vodka. That's my safest adult beverage of choice. That's a good call. Vodka will not do you that much harm the next day if you stay within a reasonable level of consumption. Yeah. And so we have, I, I get myself into trouble because I have um, a couple different 30 ounce Yetis. One of them is my water. One of is for my cocktails. And I literally uh, will measure out a shot, like in a shot glass. And I put that into a 30 ounce Yeti. The rest of it is carbonated water. We have a soda stream. And there's just a little bit of lemon juice, a little bit of lime juice. So you're actually getting quite hydrated while you're having these. So what the problem is, when you go out to a bar, <laughs> your drinks are not 30 ounces of carbonated water, or pardon me, 29 ounces of carbonated water, significantly less. So the vodka hits a lot stronger. So I always <laughs> have to be very careful when I go out to restaurants because I'm like, I can't have five of these because I will be absolutely hammered. I have to take my time, but they are delicious, nice and refreshing. Now, I had the pleasure of meeting you and your husband face-to-face in Canton, Ohio in August at the Fantasy Football Expo. Is he into yes. fantasy football too? I forgot to ask him that when we were talking. Yes. Yes. He, what a fun time Canton was. Oh my gosh. It was so wonderful meeting you too as well, Pat. I think, did I come running up to you and I was like, oh my God, hi, Pat. Hi, it's Lauren. And you're like, who is this weirdo? <laughs> I can't remember. We were at the bar, so everyone was happy. I, oh, everyone that, was happy then. It, it would of not course, have been of course out I was of- at the bar. Oh my God, that's right. Because as soon as we walked into the Doubletree, I, I got to the bar, not even past the bar. I got to the very corner closest to the door and stopped. That's where I was for the next like six hours. It was really bad. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, back to, back to Jeff. Uh, Sweet Scottfish said that Jeff um, owned the expo. He won the expo outright. But my husband is awesome. He does play fantasy football. I did... Actually, I can't take credit for this, but Howard Bender actually talked him into getting into his second league. So he's now in two fantasy football leagues. He does like it. He also does some over-under picks as well. He's not nearly as into it as I am. Obviously, I do this for a living. Um, But yes, he does play fantasy football. He does enjoy it, but he thinks I'm crazy because I I know way too much about football. (laughs) He's like, you're weird. (laughs) Are either of his two leagues with you? you Yes, both of them. Yes, we do. And I'm not, we're, we're not nice competitors to each other. Like, no, when it comes to anything competition, we literally try to kill each other. It's awful. So we've gone to, we have a poker room that's close to our house and we'll go play Texas Hold'em. And sometimes people get upset when, you know, as a husband and wife, we're at the same table, but the dealers know us and they're like, oh no, 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 trust me. She will gladly take his money and he will gladly take hers. So do not, (laughs) do not think there's any kind of collusion involved. Same thing with like Cornhole, also known as Bags. I try to annihilate him every chance I get. Any kind of a yard game, any competition, I want to win. But yes, we are we are together. And when this, we play each other, we tend to not talk to each other very much, which is easy for me to do on Sundays because I work all day Sunday for NBC Sports doing their fantasy blog. So, or NBC Sports Edge, excuse me, doing their fantasy blog. So that's okay. I can't ignore him until we know which one is going to be the winner. 
And then I try not to be too um, a sore winner, if you will. <laughs> Do you guys ever make trades? You know, the two leagues that we are in together don't trade very often. But even if we did, I still don't think that he would ever like trade with me, mostly because he thinks I'm probably trying to pull the wool over his eyes for some reason, which I never try to do. I am not the kind of person that likes lop- lopsided trades. Trades should be fair, people. Like just no one wins a trade. Both of you should be winning a trade. That's that's how it's supposed to go. But I have a feeling that he would not like to trade with me just because he he might he might be thinking that I know more than what I'm letting on, which I might. But no, we don't trade. (laughs) Long story short. (laughs) He would be wary of you. I understand. He would, yes. I understand. All right, let's hit on a few more fantasy topics in the time we have left, Lauren. Um, Now that DeAndre Hopkins is back from suspension and turned in a pretty good game in his first, uh, in his return, 10 catches, 103 yards on 14 targets against the Saints last Thursday night. Are we going to see vintage DeAndre Hopkins again, or are we more likely to get the sort of meh DeAndre Hopkins of 2021 when his targets per game were well below career norms and his value was just sort of touchdown dependent? Which guy do you think we see for the rest of this year? You know, I took that 2021 uh, DeAndre Hopkins version and I just I took it out of my brain completely, so I didn't ever have to remember how meh he was last year. But to answer your question, because I, I just don't want to, I don't want to think about that because we we all want vintage Hopkins, right? I think we're going to get a combination, and it's all going to have to rely on Kyler Murray. However, with how crappy the Cardinals have played so far this season, I have a feeling that the energy of DeAndre Hopkins is going to elevate that team. So I think we're going to see a lot more of the very good, very elite vintage Hopkins that we saw prior to 2021. And we might see a few games of Med just because he has been known to do that. Um, but yeah, let, let's hope, knock on wood, that we're, um, we can just forget about all about that 2021 DeAndre Hopkins and pretend he never existed because the Cardinals need him and they need that energy and they need the playmaking badly. Yeah, and he looked like the same old DeAndre Hopkins, I think, in that game. So I'm kind of excited to see more of that. Um, all right, Lauren, this next question is just basically to set up the victory lap for myself. I'm going to make no bones about that. Who's better, Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow? It's Joe Burrow. Yes, it <laughs> it's is. Joe Burrow. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank Absolutely. You. Joe Burrow. Yeah, he's pretty fantastic. And the weapons he has around him, and that as we you know touched on earlier in the show, Justin Herbert's losing weapons and he's losing protection. Um, Joe Burrow has no protection, but he still has tons of offensive weapons around him. And Hayden Hurst has been a great addition to the Cincinnati Bengals. I love him with them. Plus, Tegan's, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. I mean, you name it. Joe Burrow's got it. Plus, he's just cool. He's a cool dude. Yeah, and he's even running a little bit now. Like not, I mean, we saw a goal on plunge yesterday, but we mm-hmm. also see him saw him take off for like a 20-yard sort of, I don't know, I guess it was a scramble, but it was almost like sort of a quarterback draw, just like a little bit. We just want to see a little bit of the running. We don't need him to be a Konami code quarterback, but just, <laughs> you know, the kind of guy who under duress, like he would do at LSU, who will leave the pocket and pick up some yards with this feet. I think it's his hair. It's like his 1990s hair. Like, it, it is. Like, literally, whenever I see him, I'm like, your hair is so 1990s. But he rocks it. He does rock it. He does rock it. Uh, yeah, Joe is just, that guy's got all sorts of swag. He is, he's a favorite of mine, <laughs> for sure. Are you worried about Jonathan Taylor? 
I was worried about Jonathan Taylor in the preseason. I was worried about what this offense is going to, quote, do with Matt Ryan, which now it's not going to be anything, thank goodness. But yeah, I I have been worried about Jonathan Taylor. Um, I tried to avoid drafting him at any position possible. Um, in fact, when I was the 101 in two, uh, yes, two out of three leagues, I took Christian McCaffrey ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Everyone thought I was crazy. But I just don't like what Frank Reich is doing on that offense. Um, and I, I, no, it scares me. It scares me a lot, especially when he was back in the game. Someone even said, they're like, is Jonathan Taylor still out? I'm like, nope, he's in because you just didn't see him very much. It wasn't it wasn't exciting and it's not his fault because he's amazing. But yeah, I'm, I'm worried about him in that offense. Yeah, I did have him as the running back one heading into this season. But when we were at the Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, um, when we had a Kings Classic snake draft on Saturday morning, we had a Kentucky Derby style draw for draft order where uh, you you got to pick your draft order depending on uh, where you, you know, what number you pulled. I pulled number one and I elected to have spot number two because I was perfectly happy to have either Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey fall to me. Let it's someone smart. else make the decision for me. Yeah. And it, it's not that I had any concerns about Jonathan Taylor, but I'm concerned now. I'm concerned about a Sam Ellinger led Indianapolis Colts offense. And I, I don't know what happened to their offensive line, why it went from being, you know, maybe one of the best in the league to being kind of below average this year, if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, like this, this last line, like he's getting into these bad game scripts. Uh, the Colts, I think Rich Rebar posted this today. They have played fewer snaps or a lower percentage of snaps with a lead this year than any other team in the NFL. Ugh. So that led to the sort of game we saw from Taylor yesterday against the Titans, 10 carries, 58 yards. Uh, so efficient there, uh, got seven targets. I guess that's a good, oh, sorry, eight targets, but uh, seven catches for 27 yards. So not exactly high value targets. Um, yeah, that's just, I don't see. It Did we talk any... about the the breaking news with Matt Ryan? On the show? No. Uh, yeah, we're just kind of bringing that up. So we <laughs> no, should mention this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. So by the time this comes out on Tuesday, I'm sure a lot of people Everyone will, will process <laughs> this. But yeah, um, hard to tell whether it's a benching or injury related. They made it I sound. Frank Reich said either way. He's like, injury or no injury, this was going to happen. It was, I think, I'm paraphrasing, but it definitely sounded like Frank Reich was getting ready to pull the plug on Matt Ryan, whether or not he was hurt. Yeah, they do seem to have some buyer's remorse for sure on Matt Ryan. So, um, yeah, what do you make of this? It's just bad news all around for Michael Pittman, for Alec Pierce, for Paris Campbell, who was just starting to get some work in the passing game. Right, right. Like Paris Campbell became a thing and it's like, nope. You're, you're done, Matt Ryan. Well, I think they need this. I think they need this badly. And not that I'm saying that Sam Ellinger is going to, you know, suddenly, you know, be the, you know, Christ coming to save them or anything of that nature. But I think he's going to give them a little bit more than what Matt Ryan can do. If he can throw one less interception and maybe take two less sacks, I think that this could be in the right direction. Although this does bum me out because my basically my free square every week of a Matt Ryan interception on an over is now gone. So that's frustrating. Oh um, man. Yeah. I, that's I'm going to need to rethink that on my, on my pickums. But I think um, I don't mind this for Jonathan Taylor. Actually. I think that they're going to be forced to kind of go back to the run game, go back to the basics because they're going to have to do that with a quarterback like Sam Ellinger. I think they were getting too cute with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is just, 
I, ugh. That whole situation was absolutely gross. So I think this is going to be okay. I think it's going to be okay. They're not going to be lighting up the scoreboards, but I think they're going to be doing better than how they've played so far this season. Speaking and he of, was the highest rated quarterback in preseason. <laughs> he was. Okay. I did not realize Woo-hoo. that. Go Sam Ellinger. <laughs> Speaking of over-the-hill quarterbacks, Lauren, do you have a take on why Tom Brady has been less effective in 2022? I mean, we can state the obvious. It's all of his personal issues that he's, you know, that he's going through, I think. Um, you think also, so? he should probably, he should eat. I mean, have you seen how gaunt his cheeks are? I'm like, I could file my nails on your cheekbones. What are you doing? Have some meat. I know you're on this plant-based TV. T- just just have some dessert. Eat eat a burger. Like, I don't know. Have some plant fat. I don't know. Whatever. But um, I will... I think that there's um his his brain isn't as fully committed as I think he wanted it to be. Um, the team isn't as fully committed as I think he wanted it to be. Um, this is a Todd Bowles led offense, not a Bruce Arians led offense. I think that there's a lot of miscommunication going around. He has not been very accurate. There was a pass that he uh, basically threw over the head of Mike Evans, which is I don't know how that's possible. The man's six five and he can jump like three hundred feet in the air. Somehow he still missed him. It's it's um. I don't know. I, I think if I knew, I'd call Todd Bowles and be like, yo, I got you. I can help you out. But um, for me, I think it's I think it's some personal issues for him. And whatever it is that's going on off the field, that is not allowing his mind to fully focus on what it is on the field. And that's not just for his own play. I think it's also the way that he approaches the other players, right? So he's throwing tablets. He's you know screaming and yelling at his offensive line, which isn't abnormal. But I feel like that's happened a lot more often this season Granted, because they've been losing. So is it a chicken and the egg kind of a conundrum? I'm not sure, but it's a, it's a, it's a mess. It, it's a, it's disappointing to see that out of, you know, one of the greats of all time, the greatest of all time in Tom Brady, but he's not playing like it. But I mean, neither is Aaron Rodgers and I can't really say the same thing about him. So there's that. Right. Yeah. The, the throwing of tablets and stuff, kind of a bad look for a guy who sort of checked out on his teammates for what, like 10 days toward the end of training yeah, camp. It, yep. You know, it was pre-planned and everything, yada, 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 but uh, sorry. Yeah, and there are all these stories about some of the, you know, maybe some of it's rumor, but the Machiavellian manipulating that Brady tried to do to maybe engineer the ouster of of Bruce Arians so that he wasn't the offensive architect anymore. And uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe we're seeing that Tom Brady kind of needed Bruce Arians in his life. I think I agree because I think that Bruce Arians was – you know, one of the only people that could keep him under control, if that makes any sense. Not yep. as in, not as in Bruce Arians controlled him, but I think what he helped to do was harness what Tom Brady was, very much like what Bill Belichick was able to do. There's there's something about Tom Brady that you can't just let him go off and do whatever it is. You have to have a firm hand, and in that firm hand is is a harnessing of where that where that energy needs to go, where the focus needs to go. And I feel like Tom Brady's taking on a lot on himself this season where the coaching needs to do that. Now, I could be totally wrong. That's just what my eyeballs are seeing, kind of what my gut is seeing. There's no reports on that. There's <laughs> No one's coming out and saying that that's the problem. That's just kind of my gut reaction when I see it. I get, I, I'm actually sad when I watch the Buccaneers play. So which players generally, Lauren, have hurt you the most so far this season in fantasy? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> like uh, the the number one I will throw out there is uh, Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford, granted, he's not a super high draft pick, so you, you can't really consider him a bust in that um, in that particular style of definition, if you will, or type of definition. But I had high hopes for Matt for uh, Matthew Stafford, and uh, that has not been pretty. That has not been pretty. Sticking with the same team, Cam Akers, that was another one. Uh, that is tough for me. I had a lot of faith in Cam Akers, a lot of faith in Matthew Stafford, and a lot of faith 
and Cam Akers. Th- those two. I'm. I know there's more. <laughs> Chase Edmonds, you're 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 holding me back, buddy. Come on, Chase. I had faith in you, my friend. Oh, uh, we we made the wrong uh, turns down some of the same dark alleys. I think, Lauren. I yeah, a lot of Cam Akers here, and then. I kind of wasn't in on Chase Edmonds like all summer. And then I let people talk me into him like late in the season. It's Just- probably me. Why do you listen to me, Pat? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to miss out if if he was indeed like oh, this, no. uh, you know, cheap dead zone running back who maybe could have provided sneaky good production. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. has not worked out at all. Um, yes. What about the flip side? Like who have been some of your bigger hits, people you're glad you were in on and in on all along? You know, there's two of them that have not done well for me the last two weeks. I don't know if this still counts, but I still do have faith. Uh, James Robinson and Melvin Gordon were two players that, again, very, very cheap. They were going late, late, late in drafts because of Javante Williams, bless him, and um, because of Travis Etienne. And they did well. And uh, they're struggling the last two weeks, especially whatever was going on with Melvin Gordon. I have no clue what that whole situation was. But for the first couple weeks, those were the guys that I was very happy to have because they were inexpensive. I got them late in the drafts and they were living up to how I expected them to play. Now, two weeks of poor production. We'll see if that trend changes, hopefully back to the better (laughs) and not back you getting worse. Let's just hope and pray. Knock on wood. That's me knocking on my own head, everyone. Knock yeah, on. the the James Robinson thing is weird. I mean, for him to average, I think, 17 carries over the first three games and score a <laughs> touchdown in each of those three games. And then, like, I think he touched the ball less than Jamichael Hasty in week yeah, seven. Weird. Yeah, Super that's weird. very weird. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Lauren Carpenter. You can find her work at Fantasy Pros, NBC Sports Edge the Fantasy Footballers website, and at FTN. Go hang out with Lauren for her wind-up Wednesdays that don't really include wine, but we're not going to tell anyone about that. (laughs) Fireside Fridays. And I forgot about your podcast with Jake Seeley. That's every Tuesday. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern um, over on the FTN YouTube channel. I write the waiver wire column for the Fantasy Footballers. Also do waivers with Jake Seeley on Tuesdays. I have my show, um, FT on FTN wind up Wednesdays. I also do uh, five players to fade for NBC sports edge. And also I write the fantasy football blog for NBC sports edge on Sundays. So I am literally writing all of the big plays, turnovers, injuries, uh, touchdowns, field goals for every single one o'clock game and every single four o'clock game as they happen. So if you cannot watch the games, head on over to that page and I keep you updated on what's going on. And of course, go find her on Twitter at stepmom, Lauren, Lauren, thanks so much for stopping by. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Pat. Anytime. I need to get you on my show on Fireside Friday. Oh, absolutely. Happy to come on with you anytime, Lauren. Thanks again. That's it for the show. My thanks once again to our guest, Lauren Carpenter. Find her on Twitter at Stepmom Lauren. Fits on Fantasy is produced by Mr. Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. As always, the music is provided by International Jet Sets. My thanks to Omaha Steaks for sponsoring the show. Make your grill and your taste buds happy. Go to omahasteaks.com, type the keyword Pat Fitz, all one word, into the search bar and fill your freezer with delicious food from Omaha Steaks. And last but not least, my thanks to all of you for listening to and supporting the show. Please come back again next week when I'll be joined by another terrific guest. Until then, so long, everyone. I got a headache.
I'm gonna be now. What are we choosing? It's so confusing. I gotta have.